Here are some of the things that, um, that are the benefits for employment for young people. A bill removing work restrictions for teenagers is revised. Democrats still oppose it, but... Iowa kids are safer because Democrats and Republicans work together to make a bill reasonable and appropriate to consider. From IPR News, this is the Legislative Podcast under the Golden Dome. Section 8 of this uh, bill allows for 16 and 17-year-olds to perform light assembly work as long as they are not near machines. The bill allows some children to work with manufacturing and industrial-oriented jobs if they are part of a work-based learning program. It also allows 14 and 15-year-olds to work later hours. And allowing our kids to work later hours is just one, is an issue that I have. And the budgets are passed, but many have status quo or small increases, like the education budget. This budget is not starving uh, anyone or anything. It's not defunding education. Democrats say there should be larger increases, especially when there is money available. When we pass this budget, the projected fiscal year 24 ending balance is $1.9 billion. And the caucuses are coming in less than a year. The bill would prohibit some proposed changes and prevent any kind of mail-in ballot. The participants at such a caucus must be physically present. I'm John Pimple. This is Under the Golden Dome for the week and session ending on May the 4th, 2023. Bills have been bouncing from one chamber to the next. Speaker, ladies and gentlemen of the House, Senate File 542 is the Youth Employment Bill. During the final 48 hours of the session, Republican Representative Dave Dio floor manages a bill that has gone through many changes since it passed in the Senate a couple of weeks earlier. And the changes have come based on discussions with labor unions, the bar, and feedback from the minority party. Right now, kids under 16 can work no more than four hours in a day. It expands that by two hours, as well as how late they can be working. Section 6 extends the time frame persons under 16 can work from 7 to 9 and up to 11 p.m. in the summer. This section also increases the number of hours a person can work, under 16 can work, from four to six hours in one day while the school is in session. This bill now has more conditions for teenagers who are employed in an establishment where they would be serving alcohol. Section 20 allows a restaurant to employ 16 or 17 year olds to sell or serve alcoholic beverages for on-site consumption if the restaurant has on file written permission from the parent. If there is a workplace harassment incident, the bill requires employers to report it to the employee's parents. All restaurant employees also must attend sexual harassment prevention training. The bill is better than the Senate's. I think that's obvious no matter what the bill is, but it's better than the Senate's because we came together to make it better. Minority Leader Jennifer Confirst acknowledges the changes made to this bill and graciously thanks the majority party for working with Democrats on those many changes. Leader Confirst says while it is a better bill than it was, she can't support it. Um, I still believe that 16 and 17-year-olds um, will be at risk in some of the jobs they're allowed to work um, due to in, in this bill. And I think that it's not um, necessary. I think there are ways to get around um, 16 and 17-year-olds working, and we still could have found some ways in here to address some of the most dangerous working conditions. I also still have some concerns about um, student or well, they're students, but um, sort of the validity of some of the work-based learning programs and what exactly they will be required to present as work-based learning. 
People under the age of 18 can work in some prohibited activities if an exception is granted by the Workforce Development Director or Education Director. These are known as work-based learning jobs. Democratic Representative Jeff Cooling says some of those exceptions are for dangerous occupations. The operation of power-driven woodworking machines, the operation of elevators and other ho power hoisting apparatus, uh, the operation of power-driven metal forming, punching, and shearing machines, operation of certain power-driven bakery machines, uh, power-driven paper products, and the manu in manufacture of brick, tile, and related products. This bill also allows 16- and 17-year-olds to work as many hours a day as an adult, Democratic Representative Eleanor Levin says with new income eligibility requirements for Medicaid and SNAP food benefits, a child's earnings could edge the household income past the eligibility threshold. If any of these kids are a part of a family that receives SNAP benefits, the money that they earn and save is now making it harder for their family to, say, to receive those benefits. Because we say we want to promote these kids learning and growing and saving for their futures. But some folks won't be able to save because it will stop their families from feeding themselves. This bill passes the House on a party-line vote. Senate file 542 came back from the House. The next day, it's in the Senate with Republican Senator Adrian Dickey. Uh, the amendment makes it so that no one under 18 can work for a person that's determined to be a sexually violent predator or a registered sex offender. It also clarifies that serving alcohol for any 16 or 17-year-old must be done during the hours in which the restaurant is actually serving food. It requires that two persons over the age of 18 must physically be present in the restaurant where an alcoholic beverage is to be sold or served. Democratic Senator Molly Donahue isn't going to vote for this bill, but she does credit Republicans for making changes she says are positive. The bill that we are voting on today is much less dangerous than, it, than the earlier versions of this legislation. The House's amendment allows the state to grant exceptions for 16- and 17-year-olds to work in currently prohibited jobs as part of the workplace learning program. That's a change from the initial proposal, which would have allowed exceptions for teens as young as 14. Democratic Senator Nate Bolton also brings up what was in the bill that has since been removed. When we started with this process, we had a bill that, that literally created immunity from liability for employers who create situations where kids are killed in the workplace and injured in the workplace. And as this bill progressed through the subcommittee and committee process, we were able to get at least workers' compensation coverage for those injuries, but there was a special hurdle that was placed to get there. We got rid of that because we were able to engage with interested parties on the amendment process. And we do appreciate the fact that those concerns were listened to time and time again as we have made progress each step of the way. Senate Minority Leader Zach Walls also praises Republicans for new changes. This amendment is going to significantly increase uh, the positive elements of this bill. Now, there are still a few, a few downsides. Walls opposes extending the late night hours of 14 and 15 year old will be permitted to work in the summer, as well as allowing 16 and 17 year olds to work as many hours as an adult. Uh, allowing 14 and 15 year olds to work later hours and 17 year olds to work all hours of the day 
de-emphasizes the importance of our high school education system. The amended bill also still allows 14-year-olds to work in freezers and meat coolers. Federal law expressly prohibits such conditions for 14- and 15-year-olds. And so let's be clear. Senate Democrats do not oppose giving teens safe and age-appropriate work experiences that allow them to learn important skills and earn, earn money to help themselves and their families. But they must be safe. This bill, even with a very positive amendment, is still going to have enough dangerous workplace settings for children and violations of federal, ch federal child labor laws uh, that provide those minimum protections that I'm going to urge my colleagues to support the amendment and then vote against the bill on final passage. As he delivers closing remarks, floor manager Republican Senator Adrian Dickey takes a jab at Senate Democrats and accuses them of not providing suggestions, but does acknowledge what came from House Democrats. You know, for four months, you've had unlimited access to Cudmey. Everybody from your party, I brought this up before, you had unlimited access to Cudmey with your concerns, but not anybody in this chamber from your side did. Didn't hear from anybody. Um, I, too, I'm glad that the ideas that the House came up with. I'm, I'm glad because they had some ideas that improved the bill. I'm glad the House had these ideas. Um, been nice if we had had them. But yes, coming from the House, it improves the bill. So uh, with that, Madam President, um, I move the Senate to, concur, to concur to the House amendment to Senate File 542 and ask for a yes vote. The bill passes with all Democrats opposing. They are joined by two Republicans. The bill is now eligible to be considered by the governor to become a law. This is the Legislative Podcast Under the Golden Dome. I'm John Pemble. This bill will appropriate a little over $982 million from the general fund and 11,496 FTEs for fiscal year 24. You know it's the end of the session when bills contain a lot of numbers with budgets in the billions of dollars. Republican Senator Jeff Taylor is floor managing the education bill, which funds the state universities. This is an increase of $4.12 million compared to the governor's proposed budget. The bill also appropriates $34 million from other funds for fiscal year 24, which is in line with the governor's proposed budget. I won't go through every line item. Uh, most of the line items... We'll have status quo funding, uh, no increase or decrease based off the current fiscal year. To say that I'm disappointed in this education budget is certainly an understatement. Democratic Senator Cindy Winkler says one way to help the workforce crisis is to make higher education more accessible. This bill provides no new funding for general operations in Iowa's public universities. As state support goes down, tuition goes up, shifting the financial burden to Iowa's students and families. Higher tuition means more young Iowans priced out of the education they need to meet the demands for high-skilled workers and solve our workforce crisis. Democratic Senator Janice Weiner says the Regents' universities were at a higher level of state funding a decade and a half ago. We're now allocating $46 million less in general funds to the University of Iowa than we did in 2009. And we're allocating $34 million less to Iowa State University for 2024 than we did in 2009. These are flagship 
institutions for the state. They draw students. They draw faculty. They draw money. They are economic and research engines in agriculture and in medicine. Those are the numbers. And I think they speak for themselves. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Democratic Senator Bill Dossler says a lack of funding will impact the quality of agriculture, engineering, and science education, giving graduates and faculty fewer incentives to stay in Iowa. These students are looking for other places to land, and it's unfortunate that when we have such top-notch universities like Iowa State uh, in their engineering and, and uh, science research and working on technology, and you, you just go down the list, uh, uh, some of the d- different things that are coming out of there uh, are incredible. And when you don't have a general fund increase, that means that the professors and the top faculty that are running these programs get kind of zeroed out when other states are stealing them away. Floor manager Senator Jeff Taylor admits this budget does not keep up with inflation and blames President Joe Biden and his administration. Um, The amount of inflation and the fact that uh, this budget is not keeping up with the inflation rate, I would just say that's very difficult to do under the Biden administration. Inflation has gone through the roof. Uh, I I don't think that that's something that um, the education budget or uh, even the state of Iowa is going to be able to fix uh, in the short run. This budget passes from the Senate on party lines. And hours later, it comes before the House, floor managed by Republican Representative Carter Nordman. Community colleges will see a 3.25% increase, which equates to $7.2 million. Representative Nordman talks about programs that are directly funded with this bill. Uh, Our Regent High Need Jobs Grants, a priority of the House Republicans this year, um, is a uh, new program that will start with funding of $6.5 million. The Regents funding, the University of Iowa will receive $2.8 million increase for their nursing program. This will uh, go to increasing that program by close to 30%. Iowa State University, $2.8 million for agriculture innovation and growing STEM programs. University of Northern Iowa will receive $1.5 additional dollars for teacher innovation. This bill also provides funding for the Iowa School for the Deaf, Last year, the legislature approved a policy to begin funding LEAD-K. It stands for Language, Equity, and Acquisition for Deaf Kids. It's a program ensuring deaf children have access to American Sign Language. One goal is to help children learn sign language by the time they enter kindergarten or first grade. The Department of Education is tasked with developing resources for the LEAD-K program. Democratic Representative Art Stade asks Representative Norman about the proposed funding for the Lead K program. They requested $300,000. We have in this budget only $200,000. So I would ask uh, Representative Norman, would he yield for a question? Will the gentleman yield? I will. Representative Norman, I was wondering what the rationale is for just partially funding this. Was this going to be paid out of the Department of Education and other funds, or was it going to come out of the local school districts or out of our AEAs? Well, this is the first time this program has been funded. I believe this was a piece of policy passed last year, and so this was the, the starting amount that we agreed on with the Senate. Was there any rationale for not fully funding the program? This is what was agreed on as we did the budget as a whole. This is the amount that we were able to get for the new program. 
Thank you, Representative. Just wanted the individuals to be aware as these needs are being met and this mentoring program does take place and they're mandated to do this, that means the cost is going to be borne by our local school districts and our AEAs. This bill puts a restriction on the Regents University's diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Earlier this year, a House committee advanced a proposal that would ban the universities from spending money on DEI offices and staff. Representative Norman says that isn't being pursued this year, but in this spending bill... It will seize all hiring uh, related to DEI program while the study is being completed, and uh, none of the new money being appropriated in this bill will be spent on DEI. The study he is talking about is one the universities will be required to conduct concerning DEI's curriculum, training, and salaries. They are to deliver a report on this study by this November 2023. Norman says he doesn't believe DEI programs are inclusive. I'm sure there are good, there are good things that will come out of the study. But I know there's a number of things that need to be looked at and addressed by this legislature in the coming year. This budget bill passes on party lines and can be considered by the governor. This bill comes to us late in the, the session. During the last morning of the 2023 session, a bill that passed in the House is now in the Senate chamber. It places new rules on the presidential caucuses. Republican Senator Jason Schultz is the floor manager. Section 2 provides that if a state party chooses to select delegates as part of the presidential nominating process at a caucus, the the participants at such a caucus must be physically present. Iowa's parties choose how to conduct their caucuses. In the last two caucuses, the Democrats have changed theirs. For 2024, the Iowa Democratic Party is going to move from an in-person gathering to one that uses mail-in presidential candidate selections. Uh, We all know what this is in response to. Minority Leader Zach Walls says this bill is targeted at the Iowa Democratic Party. The Iowa Democratic Party has had a plan in place for over a year now to expand access uh, to our caucus process and to ensure that every Iowan who wants to participate has the chance to do so. Senator Walls says changing the Iowa Democratic caucus process to mail-in only will increase the number of Iowans in the selection process of a presidential candidate. The Democratic National Committee no longer has Iowa slated as the first state in 2024 for a primary or a caucus. President Joe Biden and the DNC leaders have selected South Carolina to be the first for the next presidential cycle. For decades, Iowa has been the first state for a caucus, followed by New Hampshire, which has a primary. New Hampshire officials have an agreement with Iowa that as long as Iowa has a caucus instead of a primary, New Hampshire will not hold their primary first. A new rule set by the Iowa Democratic Party could place the Iowa caucuses for 2024 with a mail-in process ahead of New Hampshire's primary. Republicans will tell you that this is about protecting the the first-in-the-nation caucuses, but that is clearly false. If Iowa Republicans are such defenders of the caucuses, why aren't they willing to take a little bit of political heat? Iowa Democrats are willing to stand up to a president of our own party, even if we agree with him on other matters, when he is wrong about what is best for Iowa Democrats. But Iowa Republicans won't even stand up to the Secretary of State of New Hampshire. While Iowa Republicans and Democrats have a different caucus process, both have been an in-person event throughout the state. Republican Senator Jeff Taylor says this in-person tradition should be preserved. 
I don't think we want to give up that face-to-face -face gathering of Democrats and Republicans. There's value to that. To me, that is, is different than uh, saying well, we're going to have mail-in balloting. Uh, there's questions uh, of mail-in balloting in terms of uh, how, how accurate it is, uh, how trustworthy it is. Uh, the chain of custody on the ballot comes into question. How do we know who's filling those out? Senator Taylor also opposes mail-in ballots for all elections and says caucusing or voting in a general election should only happen in person on election day. I do not believe a legislative body has any right to dictate to a, to a state political party how to conduct its presidential process of selection, period. This bill also removes a requirement for Iowa to be in the Electronic Registration Information Center program, or ERIC. ERIC is a nonpartisan national organization that takes voter registration and compares it to death data from the Social Security Administration and change of address information from the postal system. The goal is to identify inaccurate or out-of-date voter registration records. ERIC also identifies eligible but not yet registered individuals. Democratic Senator Pam Yoakum says more than half the states use ERIC, and Iowa's Secretary of State has enthusiastically supported it. Iowa's Secretary of State Paul Pate actually said this. He described ERIC as a godsend. A godsend. A month later, he announced he was pulling out, along with six other red states. Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, Missouri, West Virginia, Georgia. The question is why? Why are they pulling out? Because of false information on a website owned and controlled by the Gateway Pundit. Earlier this year, the far-right publication, The Gateway Pundit, published a series of articles painting Eric as part of a liberal conspiracy to steal elections. So we are going to take our laws and change them because of the gateway pundit? I never want to hear the two words voter integrity again out of the other side of this chamber. Because what you are doing today in this bill is just the opposite of voter integrity. This bill passes on party lines. It already passed in the House and can be considered by the governor to be signed into law. At this time, uh, we have reached the point of session where we have our closing day thoughts from the, each of the leaders. In the House, Speaker Pat Grassley begins an end-of-session tradition. Minority Leader Jennifer Confrist says in her closing day remarks, despite party differences, she's appreciated the procedural aspects Speaker Grassley and Majority Leader Matt Winschittle follow. The fact that we talk daily, the fact that we had great conversations in your office and in mine made this session better. And that's the way it's supposed to work. And so I respect you both so much and honor you and I'm grateful for this relationship and our friendship. You are wrong on politics. You think I am wrong on politics, but we can agree that this chamber, this body deserves respect and deserves to run in a way that is respectful to the process. And for that, we will always agree. Minority Leader Confrist takes a moment to address contentious bills passed about public school, 
gender identity, and LGBTQ issues. If you're a public school teacher or an educator out there, you're probably feeling a little beaten down by the legislature. And I want to say, we know, and House Democrats know, we can do better for you. We're going to try. For kids who are just trying to find their way in life, for our trans Iowans, for our LGBTQ kids, for our families who feel targeted this session, who feel that they're being targeted for who they are and how they live and just want the freedom to be themselves, please know that we see you, we love you, and you belong here in Iowa, no matter what this body might send you as a message. To Iowans who feel like your lawmakers aren't listening to you, we are and we hear you, and we will continue to work together to find ways to do better. Majority Leader Matt Winchittle notes the majority of the bills passed this year were not controversial, and this year had a higher-than-normal number of first-term legislators. I'd also like to thank the entire body, including the uh, freshman class. Um, trying to wrangle that many new faces down here, and I know Leader Conference has faced similar challenges, it's been interesting, to say the least. Um, but I hope that all of you have found that when people outside this place talk about how bad leadership is, I hope that the Speaker and I for the Republican Caucus and the Leader Conference for the Democrat Caucus has demonstrated that we're here to help you accomplish the goals that you were out campaigning on, and so you can go back home and be successful in your own communities. I appreciate your contribution, I appreciate your questions, and I appreciate your insight in bringing new blood and new voices into this chamber. Speaker Pat Grassley has some of the final words for this 116-day legislative session. I know at times it feels like that not everyone is having their voice heard, but we spend a lot of time behind the scenes trying to communicate when it's from uh, Leader Winchell and Mice's perspective with the Minority Caucus to make sure that while you may not agree with what we're doing, we want to make sure we're not trying to surprise you with anything, making sure the things that we're trying to do are the things that we've told you we're going to do, and I think we've done a good job in that, and hopefully that's your expectation of the majority party. All that remains is Senate Concurrent Resolution 7, which will be the final act of the Iowa legislature. Mr. Speaker, I move to the House of Representatives for the first session of the 90th General Assembly of 2023. Adjourn. Sign a die. You've all heard the motion from the gentleman from Harrison. All those in favor shall say aye. Aye. Barring a special legislative session, the 90th Iowa General Assembly will resume for its second half in January 2024. This is the legislative podcast Under the Golden Dome. Iowa Public Radio reporters Katarina Sestarik and Grant Gerlock greatly contributed to this year's episodes. Their stories can be read on our website, iowapublicradio.org. Additional contributions also come from Radio Iowa's Kay Henderson. Script editor for this episode is IPR News Director Michael Leland. This podcast may be over for now, but coming later this year from IPR News is Caucusland. This podcast will follow the presidential race, where Iowa will still remain an influential state as a first in the nation for the Republican Party. As to how the Democrats will fare, well, we'll explain that this year when the podcast Caucusland returns. I'm John Pimble. Under the Golden Dome is a production of Iowa Public Radio.